2: Hello, everyone, and welcome to a special edition of the Fantasy Football Report. We are uh, talking about our FFPC playoff challenge lineups. We entered a few of them. Uh, just kind of a recap on what is going on. I, of course, am Blair Andrews. You can find me on Twitter at amitherealBlair. My co host, as always, is Hassan Rahim. You can find it at HRR5010. Hassan, what's up?
3: Uh, what's going on, Blair? Uh, just enjoying the cold. It is um, when I last checked, I believe it was negative 12 out. So um, you know, having a great time uh, doing that. But I'm pre- I'm pretty stoked uh, to talk uh, with our guest about uh, some of our FFPC uh, playoff challenge. I think uh, the uh, this entire tournament has been supremely fun to follow, and uh, it's coming down to a pretty close finish here.
2: Absolutely, yeah. We have a really special guest on today. It's uh, Peter Overzet, who we entered. Uh at least two lineups into this challenge with Pete, how's it going?
1: It's going well, guys. Excited to be back. Although it just dawned on me that, you know, we, we did all of this with Pat Corain and then, you know, a bunch of our teams are not doing so hot, and then he just conveniently fled the country and didn't want to face the music about these playoff teams, and he was the one goading us into adding more and then he leaves. So I, I just want to call Pat out for being a coward and fleeing the country
2: yeah <laughs> that's right it was probably his lineups that aren't doing so well right
1: yeah it's, it's all it's all his fault but you guys were alerting me to the fact that one of our lineups uh, our collective ones is on pace to cash here
3: yeah so this one's actually uh kind of interesting uh uh i'm just trying to pull it up here it is on pace oh man my computer seems to have frozen here but uh there we go it is currently 338th it's uh Titled RV Radio One. We're at 268.65 points. Uh, and this one actually kind of an interesting one. Uh, this is one of the ones that we threw in last second. And I, this is just crazy. So it's uh, Andrew Luck was our quarterback. Uh, Damian Williams and Chris Carson were our, our, and Alvin Kamara and Todd Gurley were our four running backs that we went with. We had Keaton Allen and Julian Edelman. And our tight end was uh, Zach Ertz, the guy who we had a pretty heated debate about. And then we had Justin Tucker in the Chicago team defense. I think this was one of the only ones we didn't have Tariq Cohen. And, well, you know, Tariq Cohen, Chris Carson, what's the difference? But Damian (laughs) Williams single-handedly dragged us into a a pretty decent cash territory. So that's actually pretty nice to see. And it looks like uh, we're set to cash. The two chalkiest players uh, in the entire tournament are on this roster in uh, Julian Edelman and uh, C.J. Anderson's backup, Todd Gurley. So, what do you guys think is going to be like? Uh, you know, like we like there, there's a bunch of rosters with these two players on them, and I, I think that provided you know these two guys you know return even average results. The two X multiplier should pretty much wipe out anyone that has a fairly contrarian roster, right? So, what's our hope here for this roster?
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm trying to think of the big things we would need to fade. I mean, even the quarterbacks aren't a huge issue. Brady was only 8.5% owned, and then Goff was down at 3.2%. I would assume like we would need to avoid uh, a big James White and big Robert Woods games would be the two. I mean Sony Michelle uh, was only at one point eight percent, so I don't even see that burning us. But James White at sixteen point four nine, and then Robert Woods at as well at fourteen point eight nine. I think those would be the two guys if they had monster games could potentially push us out of the money.
2: Yeah, one guy that we ended up rostering on a lot of our other lineups was uh, Rob Gronkowski. He came in at pretty low ownership. I can't remember the exact number off the top Uh, of my head.
1: Looks like 11.6.
2: 11.6. Okay, so if he has a monster game, probably doesn't kill us. 11.6%. But uh, yeah, I guess it's a good position to be in to be already kind of in the money and have the two chalkiest guys still to play um you know we we spent a lot of the the last uh time we spoke talking about ownership and kind of trying to find these leverage plays um you know do we feel good having the chalkiest guys i mean is it is it smart to go more chalk is that kind of uh (laughs) what we're what we're deciding or uh did we make the Did we make the right call on Well, I don't even know how to ask this question. Did we make the wrong call by uh, going too off the board? I guess on a lot of our other lineups.
1: Well, I mean it's tough, right? Because like Hassan said, it was Damian Williams who kind of dragged us to this mm, spot, right and you know. Damian Williams was 5.3%. You know, everyone was going Mahomes, Kelsey, and even some Tyreek. So I think our logic going in was that we didn't have to make huge pivots or, or a bunch of pivots, just one or two critical ones. And the in the Damian Williams one, you know, worked out in a great way. And, and now this lineup is kind of positioned how we would have thought. So I in a lot of ways um, – I, I think that the, the thought process behind these lineups were, were pretty smart, and yeah, it stinks that there's no way we're going to win this tournament with, with those two highly owned guys, but the fact that it'll lock in a cash, I think making that one big pivot in a
3: really big leverage spot um, has proved to be a, a sharp play. Yeah, for what it's worth, most of the teams in the top 10, well, the guy currently in first place in the top 10 has a slim lead over the person in second place, a little, uh, little under a point, probably 0.9 points, and he has Julian Edelman and Greg Zuerlein. Hmm. And the guy behind him and a bunch of lineups behind him actually have uh, the Gurley Edelman um, uh, roster, and they're not too far behind. And so like with two skilled players getting that 2x ownership, uh, I don't know how good this guy feels sweating um, Super Bowl Sunday. Yeah. One <laughs> thing I I was thinking about right now uh and let me know
1: if if this just seems like anecdotal or if this would actually be actionable but like some of these lineups near the top they have guys like Allen Robinson and I even saw I want to say I saw one lineup somewhere that had Kiki Kuti and that bucket I would call the the team um that you maybe thought was going to lose I guess the bears weren't going to lose but like leveraging, making your pivots on those teams that you didn't think were going to actually even have a chance to make the Super Bowl. Because it, it was really, a. if you got that monster game from Kuti or Allen Robinson, you were so far ahead of everyone else that I wonder if that's kind of a takeaway of making those big pivots in, in spots that, that won't kill you if the team doesn't go far.
2: Yeah, that's a good point. I can't imagine a lot of people were rostering alan robinson thinking he would be out but um yeah someone like well like kuti is a good example of that if you thought the texans would lose which i think a lot of people did or maybe someone like alshon jeffrey although he didn't exactly have a a huge game but that's an interesting thought um in a way it's kind of what worked out with our our lineup that's cashing with damian williams you know we decided to go with him kind of I guess on this lineup, we were betting that the Chiefs would not make the Super Bowl. So, in a way, that kind of worked out. Yeah, I mean, you wouldn't want to be going into the Super Bowl, I think, with like Josh Reynolds and and uh, Burkehead or something.
1: Yeah, it, it's tough, you know. I'm, you know, I'm looking at at some of these. I I know one of the the plays that I will take a little bit of a victory lap on is I, I was pushing heavily for fading Gurley. And and trying to play Robert Woods everywhere. And it's not necessarily that Robert Woods has set the uh, the playoffs on fire, but just more so as Hassan referenced that Gurley has um, been an afterthought. And my, my logic for it was that there was uncertainty with his health. I really never envisioned him getting fully benched. Uh, while being healthy. But I think it just speaks to, you know, finding those, you know, he was 65% owned and there were legitimate reasons to fade him. Um, I think those were some, some good spots to, uh, to look for, to, to get off those guys. So I do have a tinge of, of regret that we, we don't have woods going into this playoffs because I think we'd have, uh, some more leverage into this final game.
3: Yeah, and a little bit more so than just I mean Gurley. I mean like Cooks was a was a was a pretty good pivot. Like even going with um, uh, I guess Cooks was probably the pivot. and If you really had the guts, maybe C.J. Anderson. Uh, j- just to bring this back, one of our rosters is, uh, and we thought this was a pretty sharp contrarian roster at the time. It's only twelve spots away from dead last, <laughs> and and that includes and that includes three people who didn't submit a roster and one player who submitted. <laughs> A partial roster. All right. What was this team? So this team is Patrick Mahomes, Alvin Kamara, Chris Carson, DeAndre Hopkins, Robert Woods, Jericho and Mike Williams, Rob Gronkowski, Adam Vinatieri, and the Dallas team defense. Oh, so my. it's not half bad. Yeah, it doesn't sound but, like a crazy lineup, but right. But like you know, DeAndre Hopkins didn't do much in his first game, and then it turns out he has a severe joint sprain. Um, Chris Carson didn't do anything in the in the Seattle-Dallas game. And uh, the guy who we selected to be overweight on and, you know, realistically, given his actual ownership and the fact that we lapped the field, I think it's still a very sharp play, was Tariq Cohen. It just so happens that Matt Nagy didn't agree that Tariq Cohen is good at football. And yeah. I think I think Taylor Gabriel saw just a ton of work that game and he did nothing with it. And still, Cohen couldn't get on the field. And uh, and I think that that's one of those plays that isn't too off the board. It's a decent like a uh, Pete. What was uh, Cohen's ownership? Cohen uh,
1: came in at twenty three point four six, just ahead of uh, Chris Carson and just below Melvin
3: Gordon. Yeah, and so like again, if we had to do it again, you know, knowing what we knew then, uh, you know, the fact that he was twenty three ish percent owned is pretty good considering he really has like the kind of upside that's like a Tyreek Hill ask that you know breaks the week the weekend especially if you play DFS. He's a slate breaker. Uh, you know, it it doesn't help when he's just not seeing any kind of work, and I think that that's what sunk most of our lineups. Yeah. And
1: uh, do you know actually my maybe my biggest regret, and not saying that I was like vouching for him, but that should have been more telegraphed, uh, is Sony Michelle one point yes. eight, and you know everything the Patriots uh, were doing the second half of the season just told us they wanted to run the ball, and I think we probably allowed the the group think of like oh the you know the the pats are done. they're gonna get upset in the second round by whoever they play uh and then on top of that, you know, Sony Michelle doesn't catch passes. This is a full point p p r league um I think we we should have had a sprinkle of Sony Michelle in one of those lineups, and I believe we didn't have him anywhere, right?
2: yeah, I think that's right, yeah, I mean, it's funny that you mentioned that because like he's someone who when I'm putting together. DFS lineups for the playoffs he's like an obvious choice because it's just so clear that the Patriots you know when they're facing these teams that have explosive offenses they want to kind of do what they can to keep the ball out of the opposing quarterback's hands so they're they're just going to try to lean on Michelle um but yeah it's unfortunate we didn't we didn't really see that before this contest started
1: yeah yeah I know that one just was frustrating and what was crazy too of looking at you know the pats is you know it was pretty heavily concentrated as far as ownership on edelman he was 45 percent um and then it came uh, james white at 16 gronk at 11 um and i and i know uh hassan was pushing for the, the gronk play and i i liked it as a game theory play but it was now, when you just look at it, it, it just becomes so clear that Michelle was the the high leverage contrarian play uh, that you should have been going with.
2: Yeah, I mean, our thought process on a lot of these running backs is that um, all of these games are going to be close. We want the running back who's going to be catching passes in the case of a loss or a game that's close. And Michelle doesn't fit that profile, um, but you know kind of you got to throw throw out the uh rule book with the patriots i guess i don't know
1: yeah i mean maybe maybe the logic is you know how when you go into draft season and there's kind of now this old rule of thumb that you just draft the the cheapest uh patriots <laughs> running back maybe with the uh the FFPC playoff contests you draft uh you know the lowest
3: owned uh patriot that you can project for a bunch of touches you yeah, know yeah exactly I will say that we I think from a game theory perspective at the tight end slot, Gronk uh, was incredibly under-owned relative to Ertz and Ebron, who didn't profile to be members of teams that really had a, you know, a true shot, in my opinion. Like even knowing what we know now, right? Like uh, like our, 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 our uh, decision to almost wholesale fade Ertz outside of the one lineup um, was kind of semi-rewarded in that he really didn't do much. Even given the 1.5 uh, tight end premium, not like Gronk has lit the world on fire, but you know, and and our do and our, and our rosters with Gronk are too far out of the money for us to really start hoping he starts uh, dropping something big. But I think the way we approached and attacked the tight end slot, i.e., we just uh, did we have any Kelsey lineups, or um, did, were we supremely underweight, or? It's hard. I, we
1: I don't think we ever uh, did. We ever even calculate our total ownership across these? Or we? I believe it was just like frantically firing these in at the last minute with no follow up accounting.
3: Oh, uh, we had a good we had a good Amari roster. I think that like didn't that didn't uh, that unfortunately didn't go as well as we hoped.
1: Yeah, and I mean. It, a lot of this too. I mean, you know, the the hindsight's twenty twenty, and there were a couple plays that we took stands on. You know, say the the Tariq Cohen and even the Chris Carson play, where those games are are legit coin flips, like with a minute left or or seconds left in the case of the Bears game, and it like you said, if Nagy, you know pulls his head out of his ass, uses Cohen a little more, and then they advance. I mean, some of those plays in these rosters are probably sitting so much differently, um, literally based on just you know a few inches uh, on a kick. So it, I guess it's hard to beat ourselves up too much, but I, I do think this is an informative exercise for uh, for next year.
2: Now, on at least the lineups Hassan and I entered, we had Cohen on, I want to say, four out of five of them. Um Is getting one player on that many lineups something that you think would be wise to do again, or is that something to avoid?
1: No, I like that. And I mean, it's the same thing with DFS, right? Like you can't cover the entire board. And if you try to do that, if you are right on one situation, like your returns aren't going to, to reflect the skill that it, it took to arrive at that pick. So I'm always on board with, with taking a few stands on players and shoving in. And then, you know, if the Bears somehow, you know, win three games – All of a sudden you have a low owned dynamic player that's propelling, you know, instead of one of these lineups to cash, it's propelling four or five of them. So I'm always of that mind that uh, I like taking stands and and I can live and die uh, with the fact that it it flamed out.
2: Yeah, I agree. Exactly. Um,
3: The guy we should have probably faded a little bit more was Alvin Kamara. I think if only because his ownership was fairly high, even relative to where Pat hadn't projected. And he had him very, like, he was, like, off within, what, like, two percentage points or something. Uh, But I think getting more Michael Thomas in there would have, uh, like, maybe a 50-50 split, just to where we were naturally even weight on the field on Alvin Kamara. Yeah. Yeah,
1: Kamara, 53.66. Michael Thomas at at 29.07. Yeah. and it's so funny, too, because I remember when we did our, our roundtable pod, that was one of the first examples I remember talking about. It's like we're, we don't have to do, you know, I, I know I mentioned Kiki Kuti, but you don't have to do Kiki Kuti. You can just not play Kamara and play Michael Thomas. It's like they're both mega studs in a great offense. And if everyone's gravitating to one more than the other and we know it's a 50-50 chance of who's going to be outproduce the other, just take the lower owned guy every time.
3: Yeah. And and even Hill Hill's ownership was one that came in bonkers low, I think.
1: Yeah. Although that one was explainable, right? Because it was Mahomes was just such a hammer play. And Kelsey in this format, too, was such a kind of a a maz to the light with like, oh, man, I can lock in a tight end on the best team and a 1.5 point. So that Hill is a little more um, explainable to me. But I do agree. We should have had more Michael Thomas.
2: All right. Any uh, anything else you would do differently next year after uh, kind of seeing how these teams fared?
1: I mean, I guess one thing, and I don't know exactly the the way to go about it. I mean, I, I've referenced the fact that we got excited toward the end and started kind of firing lineups in. I would maybe want to like pull back and and think more about exposures from like a top down level, and then build lineups from there, and and think more about correlations and kind of playoff stories that we want to tell ourselves and and then make sure that our exposures were kind of set as opposed to doing it more willy-nilly and be like, oh, we don't have this guy yet. Let's throw him in here. I think there could have been maybe a little more thought we put into, okay, where do we put Amari in one of these to to be more contrarian? Uh, I guess that's what I'd want to do differently.
2: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I know at the maybe the night before The contest started Hassan and I were on the phone kind of tinkering with lineups we had made hours ago until I don't know like two in the morning so you kind (laughs) of you kind of have these really good plans and then uh, you know you keep uh, thinking of new things and by the end you uh, your your, uh, lineups look nothing like the uh, kind of theory behind them so um, yeah I think being a little more intentional about about uh the lineups we're entering and kind of taking a top-down approach like you said that makes sense
3: for what it's worth our Amari lineup is uh, was actually pretty good I thought it was Mitchell Trubisky uh Todd Gurley Melvin Gordon uh, DeAndre Hopkins um and uh sorry DeAndre Hopkins D.Y. Hilton Michael Thomas Amari Cooper Travis Kelsey Justin Tucker and the New England team defense so this was a bit of a New England fade almost, right, when you're taking a defense, a semi-fade. I think there were, like, you know, the way we kind of set this up, it looked pretty solid. We got a pretty decent head start. Like, we were expecting a shootout in that Houston Indy game. And then we were kind of expecting Chicago to beat Eagles, given our Eagles fade. Uh, It's a bit of a bummer. Melvin Gordon didn't really pan out uh, the way he could have or should have. And you know, Michael Thomas and Marty were both pretty good, and and Travis Kelsey also kind of had a bit of a, a, a quiet-ish almost um, playoff relative to uh, where we expected him to be. The, like, this is a lineup that just sort of got that came undone by by a handful of like bad chalky plays that just like were in the end bad chalk. Um, Blair and I do have one roster that's about 10 points-ish away from the cash line. And we've got a little bit of leverage on the field uh, with James White in there. So yeah. it's James White and um, Gurley. So, uh, you know, this might not... I doubt this this lineup actually cannibalizes uh, the other one where we're probably too far away for this to actually do much damage unless James White has a, an absolute ridiculous game. Uh, the issue with James White doing that is like you, you mentioned Sony Michelle, and now Rex Burkhead is doing things. And so I think that that's one where uh, I'd much rather hope and I'm more so in line for the for our co joint team, the one that's currently sitting in 300th place, 338th place that that was that's the one that like goes far. Um, would you ever have considered Rex Burkhead uh, seriously, or would you have just sort of taken him more so as a guy who will uh, is a reason for us to be more so on Michelle? I guess in hindsight.
1: Yeah, I mean, I would say playing Rex outright in this kind of contest is is definitely probably getting way too cute. Just when there are when you can leverage you know ownership with guys that you can actually project for a bunch of touches like James White or. Or Michelle and um, even Gronk, I, I just think it's too cute. But I, you know, the it was probably contributed to why you get off of Sony Michelle because you're building this case of like no, no catching. You know, he has Rex Burkhead stealing high leverage catches. You know, but. Um, I, I think when we look back on it and you see the, the way the Patriots were trending and what they wanted to do with this offense, I, I think it obviously makes a little more sense. But yeah, Burkhead's Birkhead, an issue. And, you know, we, we know the Patriots, right? Like, would would it shock anyone if Burkhead out-touched Sony Michelle uh, in the Super Bowl? I mean, people would probably say
3: it would shock them. It wouldn't shock me, though. No, it wouldn't shock me. And I think that he's, like, considering, uh, you know, a little bit off topic, but for DFS and considering its showdown. You're going to have to get a little crazy.
1: Well, and you saw it at the end of that Chiefs game, right, where, you know, he had the the play where he got stuffed on that fourth and one. That was obviously a huge carry they entrusted him with. He had that game winning touchdown as well. And I mean, the only reason they do this, right, is because Rex Burkhead doesn't tip off if they want to pass or run when Sony Michelle and and James White are in it. It's pretty clear as obvious, short of a play action. You know what kind of play they're going to do. So Burkhead, you know, for a lack of a better term, opens up the playbook for them and where where better to uh, unleash those new wrinkles and disguise your plays than in the Super Bowl?
2: Yeah. So uh, let's talk about the Super Bowl. Are you feeling good about our our uh, Todd Gurley? <laughs> about having Todd Gurley in all these lineups that are close to cashing do we think that um the Super Bowl is where you know McVay finally puts him in the game and uh lets him kind of do his thing is he finally 100% or is it still going to be the CJ Anderson show
1: I mean, to answer your first question, do I feel good about it? No. <laughs> uh, can I tell myself a story of, of how it could go well for us? You know, definitely. I think the hardest thing I, I'm not buying the, you know, he's uh hurt thing. Like I'm just not buying it. He hasn't been on the injury report for weeks. Uh, I think that he's made some mistakes. Maybe he's, you know, in practice, he hasn't looked good and, and they've just liked what they've seen from, from CJ Anderson. And, you know, our, our, our pal uh, Frisco Josh had a nice article out today in in 538 uh, about how McVeigh has done such a good job of uh, allowing the the team to rush against you know boxes that aren't stacked and you know if he thinks he can get similar production from either one and and CJ's making you know less mistakes then you know I think we're in line for you know another game where uh, CJ Anderson gets you know at least half the work if not if not more. So I think our for that team and our girly rooting interest, I think we want the pa- Patriots to get up early so they're forced to use Gurley in, in pass-catching situations because we know they're not going to use C.J. heavily there. So I, I think the worst thing that could happen for us would be a close game uh, with the Patriots winning because that's less Edelman, less passing, and then more C.J. Anderson. That's kind of where I'm at with it.
2: Yeah, I know the narrative kind of out of, or at least what uh, the Rams are saying, is that Gurley's going to be good to go, but, you know, yeah, it's very weird to see, to see CJ Anderson have such a big role, even when Gurley is apparently not injured. Um, you know, he did have, I think, a pretty big drop in that game, although I don't know if, like, he was benched because of it, but it's, uh, yeah, maybe there is something going on about how, how he's looked in practice, or how he's been performing um, he's shook
3: man he's <laughs> shook cj anderson by his own admission is playing overweight right now like um like it's actually almost kind of funny because like anderson's taking shots at himself in his own weight and um you know i mean this is a dude who is who failed to get on the Chiefs. he was cut by the panthers he was cut by the raiders and now he's just waltzed into la and he's just out here taking you know just like eating into Gurley's production i think the people who are like supremely shook should be like girly dynasty owners like um because i saw a bunch of like tweets you know that were like obviously in jest i was like oh just go buy low on todd Gurley right now which is like all right the only way you're getting girly is uh if you're going to move saquon barkley and congrats you just lost that trade <laughs> but um you know I, I just think that there's like you said Peter I just don't think that this is like one of those like I think Gurley is healthy and I think we do need him to be a pass catching threat my biggest issue with like the Rams getting I mean down big is a complete erasure of Gurley from the run game I mean Gurley was erased against the Saints the first game they played too uh, but the dude who feasts in that situation is Brandon Cooks do you have Cooks' ownership by any chance?
1: Yeah, let's see here. He was relatively O-owned. He came in at, yeah, 5%. I mean, Tyler Lockett was higher owned than hmm. Brandon Cooks. Oh,
3: wow. my God. Yeah. All right. That's, yeah, that's, like, getting kind of cute, right? Like, that's where, like, you get the ownership draws away a, a dude who, who likes will smash in these kind of scripts. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I, uh... Yeah, I know. He uh he's definitely would be the, the great leverage play to to have in this game. Sony Michelle and a Brandon Cooks combo, you could probably be sitting in a thousandth place and if those two blow up, you could probably climb nine hundred spots.
3: Yeah, and that's and that's sort of where where I think like those guys are probably that that's the kind of game strip they're hoping for. And Cooks typically does pretty well on in 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 domes uh, in general. And like you know, again, we know Atlanta is a, a bit of a fast track, maybe not as fast as New Orleans, but these are two two games that I mean, like two stadiums where we know he typically smashes just because of the conditions. And I think that that's one of those factors we probably overlooked in our um, enthusiasm for Gurley and Robert Woods. Yeah. And a revenge yep.
2: revenge game.
1: I know. I mean at this at this rate, he has to get traded to the Chiefs next year, <laughs> right? To kind of complete his uh his tour of all the
3: best teams in the NFL. And probably the best quarterback he'd have played with in terms of deep passing. I mean like Breeze <laughs> like like Breeze and Brady or something else, but like Mahomes. Yeah. Yeah. Just uh reunite all that
1: two thousand fourteen draft class on the on the Chiefs.
2: <laughs> uh, so, yeah. Speaking of the Patriots, do we think they're gonna? I mean, we mentioned they've been leaning on Sony Michelle a lot. Is that probably the game plan going into um, this game too? I mean, it, it could end up that even though Gurley and Edelman are the two chalkiest guys in this game, that both of them are not even featured in the in the game at all, depending on how it shakes
1: out. Yeah, I almost feel like the Patriots offense, uh, it's been pretty concentrated, right? I mean, they as much as, you know, we complain about, you know, guys like Burkhead and stuff, it, it's mainly been like the pie has gotten so big because their games against the Chargers, that was a blowout and they were putting up so many points and then the Chiefs game was this shootout. So, um, I think of it it's more or less like your typical Patriots tomfoolery and, and more so like we know that the the Patriots' offense is going through Michelle, James White, and Edelman. Like that, those guys have been pretty bankable week in and week out. So I guess the question is, you know, what does McVeigh do to stop these guys? You know, they have the better corners on the outside. Um, I don't know if you guys think they're gonna, you know, track Edelman around the field with one of those guys with like Talib, and you know. Ultimately, I think Michelle still might be set up for the for the most success, but I, I think it'll be fairly
3: concentrated. What's weird is that, like, you know, we in our minds eye, we think of Michelle as a guy who simply doesn't cash the ball, and like, th- and like even up to now, there hasn't been much evidence that he didn't. But it wasn't like that in college. It's not like we. It's not like he doesn't cash the ball. Like, and and the, and the fear that there is here for like a Michelle absolute smash game. Is that they do start using him heavily in like the passing game, especially if they get up big, and they're just using him to keep the game in flow and in script.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I do think it it would be weird if they started using him them in that manner, but you know, again, we talk about when, when our teams in these smart coaches going to pull the, the extra tricks out of their sleeve. I mean, if they if there was ever a time to all of a sudden install Sony, Michelle as the pass catcher when, you know, they, they go a jumbo formation and then, you know, move them out in the flat or something. And the, the Rams have never seen this look all season on any tape. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I would buy that.
3: Yeah. I mean, like white's got 23 targets and Edelman's got 23 targets and, uh, you know, and Gronk and and Hogan are back with like 12 each and Michelle's only got one. Um, But like, you know, this could be one of those ones where like Cordero Patterson rips off like a 90 yard touchdown or whatever, or like, you know, they, you know, they use Dorsett a little bit as well. And it's a, it's a bit of a fear because for having the two chalkiest guys and like, you know, being semi-confident that we should get some kind of, uh, we should cash one lineup. Like there's, there's a little bit of consternation just like in the way that like, belichick adapt his offense to it you know just attack another opposing defense's weaknesses which is i mean after all these years all you've got i mean all it has to be nothing more than like respect even if it's a begrudging respect it's respect right yeah yeah i mean the more we talk about it and you know
1: we were talking about it a, a little bit ago too the more i'm kind of selling myself as as rex burkhead being uh A big, big piece of, of their game plan because I would be more inclined to think that they really expand Burkhead's role more so than changing Michelle's role, um, in the last game. I I could just really see it be a game where, you know, Burkhead's on the field for, you know, 75% of the offensive snaps and they just, you know, just roll with him if it's a tight game and they're not
3: wanting to telegraph their, their play calls. Uh, out of curiosity, I mean, I, I know he's in a bunch of our dead lineups, but, uh, you know, theoretically could be his retirement game, Rob Gronkowski. Yeah, I mean, all the the kind of the tea
1: leaves and that seems, I mean, I don't know if there's a line on it somewhere, but it, it seems like you would get plus odds on him returning at this point just from kind of like the media narrative. Although I haven't heard him specifically, you know, hint at that at all um to make it concrete so I don't know but it, it definitely seems like Gronk's the kind of guy that would be willing to uh to get another Super Bowl ring and then sail off into the sunset
2: do you think if uh, maybe the Patriots are thinking he's going to retire they would try a little harder to get him involved in this game and you'd have one one last three touchdown game before he calls it quits I-
1: I mean, if there's one coach in all of sports who uh, is hardly sentimental and could <laughs> give a shit about things like that, it's probably Belichick. So I can't yeah. envision him uh, forcing a, a target to anyone, even uh, his pal Rob Gronkowski.
3: The weirdest thing, though, about like Gronk uh, was so... In that Chiefs uh, playoff game, where he bobbled the ball and then it was picked off, and then um, you know the play was whistled uh, dead because of the D Ford offside. Yeah, uh, like even you know prior to that, like Gronkowski actually had the most targets on any of any of any New England receiver. He had eleven targets. He caught six balls for seventy nine yards. Yeah, like it, that's actually almost freakishly scary. And I know like one of the areas where the Rams are. Gonna like they're selectively weakish almost is the tight end as against tight ends. Um, you can actually get away with, uh, with, with, uh, I mean, like Kelsey carved them up in like you know that uh, regular season, the greatest game ever played. Uh, but you know, I think Gronkowski, they're gonna probably have to stick to leave on Gronkowski. There's no way they can have they can have to leave splitting duty between Edelman and Gronk. They're giving up m- mega yards one one way or the other. Yeah. Yeah. I
1: mean, Hassan, I, I feel like Gronk's going to retire and you're going to be the guy going on podcasts being like, I think he's going to come back. I think he just <laughs> – he, he's got football in his DNA, man. He's going to come back and post 100 yards. You just can't quit him, Hassan. You can't. I Yeah.
3: It's – there's just like I, I, something at, at some point during this like regular season, something in my brain just broke where it came down to Gronk. <laughs> After years of just not rostering an elite tight end like, – I think I think Gronk's the guy who's broken me. It's like that's right. I, I have like one of the only conspiracy theories I truly believe is that like the entire party playboy Gronk in season is all an act and that like he's like a crazy hard worker. Like if you see him drinking vodka from a bottle, I think he's drinking water. Like there's no way <laughs> he was so wow. dominant for yeah. so long. Hassad is a Gronk alcohol truther. <laughs> I have. Yeah, I'm just I'm like, like that's where I am in this.
1: Okay. Well, I'll tell you where I'm at right now. I just bet Rex Burkhead at 66 to 1 to be the Super Bowl MVP.
3: That's a mm-hmm. pretty good. That's a that's a that's tantalizing. Uh, right. Where would you get that line? Uh Bovada. Uh,
1: oh yeah. Yeah, I heard oddsmaker was uh, caping for Robert Woods at 50 to 1, um but then all this Rex Burkhead talk got me all hot and bothered under the collar. <laughs> I had to go uh, put some money down on it.
3: What's your James Davlin receiving prop, rushing and receiving prop?
1: Uh, Bovada isn't offering any James Devlin props because they hate fullbacks, apparently. But the one wow. I've been seeing was that people have been betting the under on that's at a few spots is just, uh, James Devlin under three and a half yards rushing.
3: Hmm. Uh, yeah, that's interesting because, uh, because, like, uh, that's such a pain. carry
1: from the two. Yeah.
3: Right, yeah, he'll, he'll convert that.
1: Yeah, I also did, uh, uh, my alter ego, Pete Manzanelli, might have bet $6.90 on James Devlin <laughs> at $40,000. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, I think the path there is three goal line TDs, uh, a couple huge pass blocks and uh, pass protection, and then maybe a, a, a fumble recovery during special teams. But yeah. if that happens, you know, you're sailing off into the sunset. Oh, yeah. The
2: Rams do an onside kick, and he... Takes it in for a touchdown.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Are you Are you guys into the any the props? You getting it down on any of this this action?
3: I was actually trying to you know looking over Court Smith's site, uh, bettheprop.com at some of this stuff. I was I was planning on firing off a few uh, maybe you know over the next few days. I didn't know how if the market had changed much, and I heard Oddmaker mention that that uh, James Devlin prop, and I you know I heard him talk about like Robert Woods. Uh, my biggest issue with Woods is I think he's like the like the for all of the you know for, for what it's worth I think the Patriots have a sneaky strong secondary yeah and and I think if the Rams are really gonna like win this it's gonna be via Brandon Cooks on the fast track
1: yeah yeah. Yeah, so let's see here. Brandon Cooks MVP odds, yeah, not near as good, which is which is surprising. Like, why? You know, Robert Woods has been you know the better receiver for for most of the year, at least more productive. He's plus five thousand. Brandon Cooks plus four thousand. I'm I'm curious why. Is that just a revenge narrative bump that uh the books are seeing there?
3: No, I I, I think like Cooks has been the more productive guy in the postseason here. And I'm just yeah. trying to figure out what, like, I'm trying to see what the DraftKings prices are for these two guys. Um, yeah, and even DraftKings has uh, like Cooks more expensive than Woods, and I, I, I you know, it's not necessarily that maybe oh, I'm really hoping is like the like the uh, like the uh, na- the revenge game narrative bump because that's uh, I'd love for life to like mirror that, but I think it's just the fact that it's an indoor game, and if they're gonna like, they're gonna not like slot receptions. Are not going to do it. Like I think they, I think McVeigh is sharp enough to like motion Woods outside a lot. Yeah. But I think you're going to need like, Cooks to truly, if they fall behind like by 14 or so points, you're going to need Cooks to just go absolutely nuts. Like, he, and like, we have seen it with New England. I mean, they did they did not let the Chiefs touch the ball at all. Like this, the way this team controls time, you know. Like if you're the Rams, you have to know that the only way you're going to be able to like make up a big deficit is in a very quick amount of time, because um if there's one thing that you I mean, like when we were watching that game against the chiefs for like the, the entire first half was very, very boring if only because the Patriots did not let them get any plays off. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I, I do think there are uh, a few paths where this game, I, I do kind of lean the under in this game and, I, like you mentioned, with both of these secondaries are, are pretty good. Um, both these teams want to run the ball. Uh, I think it could be uh, a kind of a lower scoring. Um, both these teams are capable of playing both ways, but I think deep down, the way McVeigh kind of wanted to hide Goff toward the end of the season, and you know, establish CJ Anderson and Gurley, and, and the Pats doing the similar thing with with Michelle and in Burkhead. I mean, do, couldn't you guys envision you know this game going ten, fifteen points uh, under the the total and just seeing a ton of running?
3: Yeah, yeah, that wouldn't be too surprising, um, especially if it stays close, right? With like, if especially if it remains like within a touchdown. Yeah.
1: Right. Yeah. If, if one team gets up big, then, the, you know, both of these teams are aren't going to be idiotic and continue to run the ball. You, you'd think they'd start to air it out. But but yeah, I, I, I think the most likely or at least what these teams want to do in their ideal world is, is run the ball, which is weird. You would at the beginning of the season who would have ever have looked at these teams, these quarterbacks, these passing weapons and say that. But that's really where they've trended this whole back half of the season.
3: Yeah. And I think part of that just sort of comes down to uh, it, it speaks volumes to how dynamic their offenses are. Right. Like if you're the if you're either team and you want to run the ball, realistically, what that means is you've got that lead and all you want to do is bleed time. And I think, you know, it's a very good like uh, intuition, if only because these are two offenses capable of like <laughs> t- turning it on whenever they feel like it. And I think that just sort of speaks to, like, the mutual-ish respect, i.e., we want to keep the ball away from you. You know, we saw it with New England and Kansas City. Like, they knew, I mean, they knew Mahomes could, like, light him up within, you know, in, in, in like, three pass attempts. It says you don't want them touching the ball. You want you want the biggest strength uh, of, the, of your opposition, i.e., their offense, on the on the sidelines. Yep. Yeah, it, uh,
1: yeah, I, you know, the game's going to be fun. It'll, it'll be fun to watch, but it is, I do feel like we were robbed of, you know, some, some super fun football. I, I just, any combo that involved the Chiefs, um, would have been so much more exciting, I think, uh, just from a, a game entertainment standpoint. So I feel like I am still a little bitter, uh, about that. For sure. Yeah.
2: All right, uh, before we get out of here, let's uh, get some predictions on the outcome and maybe give me one bold call.
1: Okay, I will say, um, I already mentioned, I like the under. Um, I I think these teams uh, are going to run the ball more than maybe we would want. And all of the prevailing wisdom right now is this: it's the Patriots. You know, it's the same old story you know here they are again you know Goff and, and McVay don't have the experience the patriots are going to dispatch these guys um in in the line has reflected that you know where it's now patriots minus uh 3 uh which everyone it opened at at minus or, or I think it, it even opened rams minus 1 in a lot of spots i heard uh Sean Corner saying his projections still have the rams at minus 1 a lot of the sharp Kind of um, numbers, guys. Think the the Rams should be slight favorites. So I'm gonna fade the the public and in, in media narratives that it's the Patriots' world and we just live in it. And I will take. I won't even take the Rams with the points. I'll take the Rams in an upset in a low scoring game.
3: Wow, uh, that's actually a good one. Um, I'm gonna go with. Uh, I was I was gonna say something about Gronk, but. Um, <laughs> But I really can't bring myself to do that. Uh, I will probably say I, I'm i probably a donkey doing this, and it may be just a huge fish. But I think, like, the Patriots, if you were able to jump on them um, at anything below three, probably, you're sitting pretty. Uh, if not, you know, I would think that the Patriots actually win this outright. Like, we see bad Jared Goff. Uh, I do think the under hits, but... Um, Probably the Patriots' team total goes over, and uh, for all of Sean McVay saying that you know Todd Gurley will be a big part of this game, uh, he won't. He'll spend a lot of time on the bench. Uh, both him and Anderson will spend plenty of time on the bench as uh, the Rams are forced into you know chasing from us in a supreme-ish negative script, like 17 plus points, and uh, Brandon Cooks would lead all uh, Rams. Uh, skill players in fantasy scoring for the weekend i like it what do you got blair
2: uh what do i got i got um i like the rams also to win but i'm gonna say this game goes way over it's a shootout rams win rams win uh 40 to 38 or something and uh
1: gerald everett
2: scores two touchdowns
1: Ooh, now that's spicy
2: (laughs) i don't have too many dynasty teams obviously
1: yeah that's right and, and and no no dynasty points for the uh the super bowl touchdowns but maybe you're able to flip him in the offseason after that game <laughs> there you go
2: all right that'll do it for this special episode of the fantasy football report special thanks to our guest peter Overzet. you can find him on twitter at peter Overzet. for hassan rahim i'm blair andrews thanks for listening Thank you for listening to the Fantasy Football Report. Please rate and review the Rotoviz Radio podcast channel on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. Contact us via email, rotovizradio at gmail.com, and follow us on Twitter, at Roto-Viz Radio. And remember, you can always support the pod by subscribing to Rotoviz at a 30% discount through the Rotoviz Radio homepage, slash podcast.
0: Plus sales tax and activation fee. $50 plus rate plan required. Not valid for numbers currently on T-Mobile Network or on Metro in past 90 days. Offer subject to change. Offer valid for new Amazon Prime members. Amazon Prime has a $12.99 per month value. Restrictions apply. See store for details and terms and conditions. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears call
3: claygranger.com or just stop by granger for the ones who get it done